This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Warning, the following podcast has some foul language. You may wish to earmuff the impressionable. It's Tuesday, June 2nd, 2022 from Peachfish Productions. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. And I'm always a day late. For instance, it was just yesterday that I found out about this big Canadian party. As we jointly host a celebration on May 31st to reclaim the conversation and celebrate vulvas and vaginas as powerful and important. Man or woman, vulva and vagina day and I missed it. A day late and a vagina short. In fact, the only way I found out about Canadian Vulva Day was that it was mocked on social media. The classic, with so many other problems, how could you be focusing on vaginas? Please! It is during our darkest hours that we are most likely to focus on vaginas. Not meeting the individual vaginas of vagina havers, but sort of, if you could conceptualize this, broader national vagina, if you will. And if I know you, my audience, I'm actually not sure you're well. But listen, it's so easy to lodge a complaint as Puck You 1977, actual Twitter handle of an actual Canadian, wrote in response to the speech in the House of Commons by Pam Damoff, we have inflation, homeless, and drug crises, but including vagina and vulva verbiage in our everyday conversations is more important. Nut bar is high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a war in Ukraine and inflation, and you guys, you ladies, are talking about vaginas and vulvas. But the thing is, Canada can't really do anything about inflation or the war in Ukraine. And as far as homelessness and drug crises, yeah, maybe Canada can do a little bit about it. Maybe the United States with more resources can do a little bit about it, but we're not. I mean, we have both those things, and we also have gun massacres. I mean, Canada's apparently doing something right. Maybe all the vulva talk is keeping them comparatively safe. Ever think of that? I'm just sorry I missed the day. Tonight, Joe Biden addresses the nation, and I seriously doubt he will mention either vulvas or vaginas. And you know why? He just doesn't have the latitude. He's not going to be able to get to those issues. I would actually love to live in a country with a little too much vulva talk is going on in the federal legislature. It is a sign of, if not a healthy nation, a little bit healthier than over here, the land of the free, the home of the brave, the realm of vulva omerta. 
On the show today, the rainbow flag of certain pride parades is excluding the blue. But first, Yale School of Management professor Jeffrey Sonnenfeld returns. Yesterday, he talked business dealings in Russia. What about another controversial and often criticized country, ours, the U.S.? We talk about the demand that our corporations serve a higher morality than just serving the customer. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Jeffrey Sonnenfeld has become an influential CEO whisperer as head of the Yale Chief Executive Leadership Institute. As such, the professor meets with and cajoles the biggest CEOs in the country to do the right thing. What is the right thing? Well, the Washington Post headline of an op-ed Sonnenfeld author says it pretty succinctly, for corporations, political wokeness works. So if you remember yesterday, we talked about his effort to name and shame Western corporations doing business in Russia. The first question was a pivot from that conversation. And I asked, does he think the successful shunning of companies doing business in Russia is similar to the stateside effort to influence U.S. companies to shun politicians and policies with which they or their workers find fault? And an example that you have in mind, because, uh, it, you know, I, I think that there are uh parallels. I think the corporations have been more courageous right now on this uh, unique international frontier. There are a lot of human rights uh, injustices and there's a good deal of suffering around the world. Uh, and we've seen an elevated level of courage here, unsurpassed in history. As, as you know, that South Africa was 200 companies. Here we have five times that. And so much of the world, and uh, this is pretty amazing. But um, but I'm thinking with domestic issues. Okay, in the in the case of Russia, it's an agreed up, it's an agreed upon enemy who has clearly done a great, almost unspeakable evil, and they're thousands of miles away. And other people, when it comes to that, you're not calling for the business and the business roundtable isn't calling for corporations to do the same with domestically passed laws, abortions, voting rights, and the like. But how similar is it because there is the call which you support for corporate, essentially corporate shunnings in domestic politics? Well, I think we've seen it a pretty powerful, despite what you might read uh, by some uh, cynics on the left or the right uh, that have been skeptical about corporate voice. In fact, uh, and we've done the research on this, people started to complain about the moratorium against the uh, succession, the, the secession supporting 97 incumbents uh, uh, in, in Congress who, uh, voted, uh, not, who voted not to certify the presidential selection, not to certify the electoral college. It was already certified, basically not to affirm it was already certified. Their legal duty is, do you know that... Uh, those 97 people 
uh, were the um, the subjects of a more corporate moratorium. Mm-hmm. So right away, press started to say on both sides of the political spectrum, ah, it's insincere. Companies are already welching. A few did, but this was the first before the first quarter Federal Election Commission's results even had come out. People were disparaging it. And in fact, what did the first quarter show uh, this time last year? Ninety-five uh, percent compliance by midsummer. And I put it in the Washington Post last summer. The actual FEC data, despite the cynics wringing their hands saying corporate America was insincere, it was still eighty-five percent. Whereas it now, it's about sixty, sixty-five percent have cut off all support to those people. It was only supposed to be a temporary moratorium. It's amazing that it's held this long. That it's over a year that that they've held that. On top of that. If you take a look of any one of those 97, that uh, not one of them has gotten one penny more of business support. They've all gotten less. So yeah, I think business does uh, put their voice behind their values on a number of fronts, but not all fronts. Yes. So I'm thinking of the harder cases. That the insurrection was an insurrection and polling shows it appalled the American people. But what about the actions, some of which you've supported and have been a uh, rallying cry with things like voting rights, with things like abortion, or with the Florida so-called don't say gay bill? Do you think Bob Chapek regrets getting involved with it as he did? Each one of those is a huge category deserving of its uh, own spotlight Right. But but I'll take the luxury of grouping them together because it's easier for me to do it that way. But the businesses um, do make choices about uh, like I you know, just had this discussion with Michael Dell and his team. Of, I guess we're on the record. But anyhow, is uh, they're looking at 100 issues at any one time. And Dell almost always and maybe always, uh, from my judgment, my value system gets it right. But they make their choices. They're trying to figure out what's most critical of those issues where we can have impact, where it matters to our key constituents, and that has some urgency behind it. I, I think it's brilliant. And, and, and companies need to do this in a systematic way so it doesn't look like they're either ducking or just following the, 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 the easiest convenience. You know, you see a lot of these corporations love to go off to Glasgow and, and COP20 and get caught up in the sophistry of debating, is it zero carbon, carbon neutral, or carbon negative, which mm-hmm. has ze- virtually zero controversy behind it, you know, uh, and, you know, even even the extractive oil industries are, are into it now. So, like, wh- they love to talk about that, or more than we'll talk about gender representation on boards than before. Try to get a discussion on race going, and, and suddenly you have a, a, a less full room uh, before you. Or uh, So, you know, it, it starts to vary by the issues, who gets involved in what, when you get to something like uh, abortion, where the country, by uh, very large majorities, is in favor of uh, a woman's right to choose, but um, there's there's no support for very little support for it to be a, 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 in all conditions. You know, the rape and incest and other horrible things. Mm-hmm. You see very little support for that. So businesses are trying to find a position where you have most of the country that they don't want to be caught in a in divided uh, uh, battleground there. But even so, as soon as the uh, the Texas law was passed, what was remarkable is instantly that companies like the otherwise condemned Match Corp in, in Texas uh, and uh, uh, companies like uh, Salesforce and uh, Lyft and uh, Uber that uh, and Citigroup uh, that jumped on board to say Apple, uh, Amazon, uh, 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 GoDaddy and things, 
uh, that they were going to Levi's that they, they would pay for a, a woman to leave the state and mm-hmm. take care of the medical expenses. Yeah, Salesforce even said, we'll relocate any of our employees who want to leave because you're living under these conditions now. Yeah. And that's pretty noteworthy. Yeah. And are they threatened with reprisals? Yeah, they ignore it and they do what they think is the right thing to do. That's similar to, say, Delta and Coca-Cola and the voting rights restrictions in Georgia. They, they're threatened with what was surely unconstitutional selective taxation threats and things. Uh, which is to and the, which brings us into the the Disney situation. Yes, as, as a, is that there the issue uh, is uh, some of these uh, manufactured issues where who who has any evidence uh, that the uh, gender choice issues was, were being taught to kids that don't know yet how to read? I mean, I think they're looking at some of the fundamentals of three, four, five, seven year olds and things like that, and uh, for somebody to not be able you know, to talk in a classroom about uh, why, um, if, if it comes up that they have uh, two parents of the same gender, they're not allowed to talk about that or they're violating a law. That seems ridiculous, but it wasn't something that was being taught as uh, at that stage of life. And Disney's call was, you know, as a, as a, um, a new kid learning how to walk is uh, Bob Chapek didn't make the right call. And I think he's aware of that. The right call though, was not to vacillate. That was the worst of all, that he fell between two moving trains. He's condemned by the right and the left. Bob Iger would have gotten that right, but JPEC learned from it. Is It would have been so easy to join with the other 130 major employers in the state. This would have been a non-issue, uh, but uh, perhaps he was misadvised. I don't know, but they should have gone along with the other 130 employers. But here you mentioned the business roundtable, and you were right. The business roundtable and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the uh, National Association of Manufacturers and other trade groups that, that did engage on voting rights are not engaging on some of these other fronts, and they should be. And how do they engage on this if you're, oh, a divisive issue like abortion? No, take a look at the selective use of the public resources. How can, if the, you can imagine if the, if the politics were reversed on this, how the right would go, fanat, go, go, go nuts over uh, punishing a company for exercising its political voice. I mean, a lot of people like me don't like the Citizens United decision, which can classifies corporations mm-hmm. as uh, political, as as uh, as having the rights of citizens. If that were the case, then why aren't they allowed the free expression? You're allowed free expression as long as you uh, agree with Governor DeSantis. Otherwise, the public's resources get used against you in, in a condemnation. And ironically, it actually, Disney was providing a lot of basic services for road paving and fire and safety and things like that, the public safety, that now they have to pay for themselves the tax uh, a burden on the Florida citizens is now higher. Right. If it comes to that, if Reedy Creek gets its uh, gets its status stripped away. But I want you talk to the most powerful, most important CEOs in America. Do is the sentiment that they looked at to pick on Bob Chapek. He he takes the heat. He gets paid the money. But do they look at the thing that he did wrong as he didn't make a choice until too late? Or do they look at it as he just simply made the wrong choice? Well, the Disney statement that came out initially was to not be on board. There were a great condemnation that he wasn't standing by large portions of his workforce. Uh, So then he tried, the message that came out was, well, we were trying to uh, repair the laws privately backstage without the public grandstanding. Uh, And that is what some of the companies in Georgia were saying a year earlier. You remember on voting rights, and that was true. Mm-hmm. They tried to do it, but it failed. And that's where Delta and Coke said we were really frustrated. We thought we had an agreement and the governor of Georgia reneged on it. In this case, 
the governor of Florida said, what are you talking about? Uh, we, we've never met. We never had any conversation about anything. And, you know, congratulations on your new job is that he was left out there on a limb looking disingenuous as well as positionless. So it wasn't that he was going to champion the opposite position or, or had some middle ground that was probably not tenable anyway, but there was, a, it was just, it was lost. It was just a luffing in the wind without any direction. Uh, important message there is the business leaders, uh, you, we know that to take on a bully, uh, you take on a bully through collective action. Uh, as Benjamin Franklin advised that we shall surely hang separately if we don't hang together. It was important for business community to hang together. He went on his own independent trail without a particular strong position, without a position whatsoever, and got skewered by both sides. That's the takeaway. And and we have seen, you know, uh, by contrast, how business has so forcefully uh, followed and uh, fortifying each other on the Russian withdrawal. So I have one last question and one observation. I'll give you the question first. It's quoting Adam Serwer, who wrote an article in The Atlantic. The Amazon union exposes the emptiness of, quote, woke capital, which is generally what we're talking about. You wrote an op-ed with uh, that phrase in the title, corporation standing on the side of, let's say, progressive values. And his point is that the Amazon union, now that is really woke. That is embracing the ideals of progressive activism. Most corporations will be scared as hell if they don't have uh, if they don't have unions within their ranks to allow unions. So doesn't it expose them or suggest at least there is a bit of hypocrisy if they will stand up for a number of issues that state governments are injecting their noses into. But when it comes to the huge issue of progressivism that they themselves can approve, they stand against the unions. Well, you know, I don't I don't think that there is a a uniform checklist of progressive, uh, non-progressive. There, there are issues will split out in different ways. When I started doing whatever it is I do, uh, uh, it, about 22 percent of the workforce was unionized, a little bit more than that. And we're way down to less than half that. And it wasn't uh, due to uh, the kind of a Mitchell Palmer raids where union organizers in the 1920s were hanging from trees. But it was because of supposedly companies were trying to obviate the need for a third party in there. And at least that's what some thought they were trying to do. Um, and so uh, Howard Schultz, you could also put in this category of Starbucks of somebody who is uh, usually on a forward looking side of social issues, as uh, did Amazon try to be. But they weren't perfect as employers. And uh, they they got religion a little bit late. I think Walmart. Similarly, there are criticisms of them as an employer. They woke up very quickly, as not to use the overuse the woke term. Doug McMillan was uh, was paying way above market. It took a while, and, and for them to have benefits packages. A company like UPS, by contrast, which has always they've always said you can be a good teamster and a good union and you know good union member and a, a good UPSer is the founder of UPS. Uh, believe it or not, in 1919, invited the teamsters to come in and represent them. His father, I think, had been a wobbly, a pretty radical union from the northwest of, of a woodworker. Uh, IWW, but they always they always felt that way, and and FedEx is non-union, and they don't make a big deal about it at UPS, but they think sure it'd be nice if everybody had the same uh, ground rules. Uh, but uh, there doesn't need to be this battle of union versus management, and I think that there've been some ham-handed uh, 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 corporate responses to try to block union organizing, uh, and uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that a heavily unionized company is going to be a better or worse employer. 
you can have some heavily unionized uh, adversarial situations that take us back to a 1930s, which side are you on, which is not, is not productive in a global economy at all. Uh, uh, and you can have some fantastic union management relations such as uh, uh, UPS or frankly, uh, the auto workers. Most of Las Vegas, I would put in that category. Yeah, it can be great. And you can have very, uh, I think, very responsible non-union employers too. So it's a four-cell category. You know, you can, you can have union, non-union, good and bad employer. Okay, so here's my last observation. It seems to me that there is a difference, but it's on a continuum between human rights issues and causes. But I don't know exactly where something stops being a human rights issue and goes into the category of just a cause or a cause that maybe activists would agitate for. If it's a human rights issue, I would say, of course, corporations have it not only in their interest, but in their responsibility to take a stand. If it's a cause, much less so, are there rules of thumb or ways that you use um, either heuristically or when you advise businesses to tell the difference between the two? The way they come at it is, uh, and I get this every day of the week, uh, whether or not it's uh, in the uh, the Economist and their Schumpeter column, uh, written by pseudonymously a guy named Henry Trix. So now you know who the author of that is. And similarly, uh, in the pages of the Wall Street Journal, where they just, you know, they, the editorial page will, will argue that somehow uh, that uh, there's a slippery slope, uh, that there, there's all this hu human injustice in the world and suffering, and is that the cor private corporation's role to, uh, to bring equality and standards everywhere in the world and safety. Well, you know, that's uh, it's such a canard. The, and I think when you separate them two, you're right. Is this if, if there's an awful lot of misery in urban hospitals? You have uh, lots of unhappy populations. You've got sometimes gang warfare, gunshots. You have, you have theft. You have a bad weather leading to bad car accidents. We have four particularly virulent uh, forms of cancer that are on the rise again. Sadly, I used to be on the board of the American Cancer Society. And on top of this, we've got resurgent COVID and everything else. And, and you're going to just close the doors and say that's it. That's it. We we that we can't deal with all this. No, what a hospital does is they practice they practice uh, triage. They decide if somebody's not uh, their heart stopped, that takes priority. If they're not breathing, that takes priority. If somebody has a terrible gash and they're bleeding a lot, sorry that you you've got another eleven minutes or twelve minutes to live. We got to deal with somebody whose brain will stop in the next uh, two minutes if we don't get oxygen in there. So there's a priority on broken bones. Hey, that's pretty bad. But we'll deal with that no matter how gnarled it is. We'll wait later. So even horrendous looking industrial accidents get a lower priority in the ER, depending on some well, something else which has happened. And that's what corporations need to understand is that uh, and, and their or their critics need to understand is that it's a triage is that you try to decide what you can do and you do what you can. You can't solve every problem. You, you know, as, as Adley Stevenson uh, attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt, better to light one candle than the curse to darkness. Do what you can, make as much progress as you can. You can't do everything. Try to bring some illumination, some light in there. And it's in the interest, it's self-interest of business leaders to do this. Business leaders shouldn't and don't want angry uh, workforces, uh, finger-pointing communities and hostile regulators and, and, and furious uh, shareholders is they're interested in the business of social harmony. And last time you and I spoke, we talked a little bit about Tocqueville when he came to the country uh, and wrote in 1840 in Democracy in America, uh, something that he said makes our legal system work wasn't the tightness of the way the laws are written, but their looseness because there was social trust that people believed in their institutions. If you want that social trust, you want it's 
you a business leader wants a harmonious community to be able to do their job. So regardless of their personal values, it's a win-win in the self-interest front. Jeffrey Sonnenfeld is CEO of the Chief Executive Leadership Institute, the Dean of the Yale School of Management. Thanks again. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And now the spiel. Yesterday was the beginning of Pride. Pride Month, all of June. I always thought Pride Month should be in August, you know, because Pride goeth before the fall. But here we are, inside the month of Pride, a celebration of inclusion, acceptance, uplift, and loathing of the police, as ABC 7 Bay Area reported a few days ago. New developments just one month ahead of the San Francisco Pride Parade over the event committee's decision to ban law enforcement from wearing uniforms. And today the city's mayor announced that she will not participate because of the policy. This is not new. A few years ago, the trend of banning officers in uniform in pride parades took hold in places like New York, San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Denver. This year, Aurora, Illinois is sticking with its ban. Denver has relented. But it is in San Francisco, the major city with the largest percentage of LGBTQ residents, that the issue is most tense. The rationale for banning uniform police can be found in these next two clips. First, past pride parade goer Edna Rea quoted on KNTV San Francisco. Yeah, if you wear a uniform, uh, it's going to trigger everybody who was part of the Black Lives Matter movement all throughout 2020 and 2021. I think it would be a really bad idea. Some, perhaps many people, don't like cops. Why include elements in our joyous parade that might upset some, perhaps many people? All right. And here is WHYY Philadelphia quoting community member Alicia Gonzalez, who says including cops in that parade will be harmful and not merely subtly or potentially so. To be so brazen as to not only work in collaboration, but to try to celebrate the police at your event was not even a dog whistle. Like it was blatantly harmful. The first part of that clip, that pride, marches, parades, and protests are rooted in the Stonewall riots of 1969, is an oft-cited argument. And yeah, the NYPD of that era specifically did target the gay community, and the gay rights movement began as a liberation movement. Well, who now, today, are they seeking liberation from? The police, acting as agents of the state? The state acting as representatives of the people, that doesn't seem to be the dynamic going on in 2022 as it was in 1969. Now, all manner of politicians and officials march, gay, straight, allies. The circle of participants has expanded to include citizens who define themselves as members of the gay community, whoever they are. And that includes cops. And not just not in uniform demand many of these march organizers. In response, the San Francisco Police Officers Pride Alliance wrote, quote, 
The San Francisco Pride Committee has asked the LGBTQ plus peace officers to go back in the closet. San Francisco and the San Francisco Pride Parade have always embraced radical inclusivity as one of our core values. Let us be clear, this committee would not order the leather community to wear polyester at the parade. This committee would not order the drag community to wear flannel. But they have told us, peace officers, that if we wear our uniforms, we may not attend. I'd say that's a pretty good argument. It is especially tailored to the specific audience, and it's challenging that audience to adhere to their own values. Another good argument, I think, but one that certainly wouldn't find purchase on the boards of a committee like the Pride Committee is to ask, just because our movement was founded in a riot, must it stay as one? There are plenty of examples of liberation movements that make peace with their old oppressors. English dignitaries are invited to participate in 4th of July celebrations here. In fact, Kenya liberated from the UK in December of 1963, so just about five and a half years before the Stonewall riots. Kenya has the highest rate of pro-English sentiment of all nations surveyed in the world. Oppressed parties have often been asked to allow their former oppressors some forgiveness in a formal way, like recognition in a parade. And usually what that does, it allows for stronger ties going forward. For decades, the police in uniform have marched in pride parades, and they usually get really big cheers. And it's seen as a mark of progress that gay people could be out in uniform and that the gay community would embrace their own members inside police departments, people who are doing important work, people who are reforming attitudes, people who are changing actions from the inside. Were we wrong about that being a mark of progress? And we suddenly realized it in the summer of Black Lives Matter. We slapped our foreheads, or at least the people who organized parades, and said, oh, all these people cheering the cops for all these years, they got it so wrong. The NYPD has more out gay officers than any other police force in America, I assume the world. Here is one, Sergeant Anna Arboleda, speaking in one of the videos that the Gay Officers Action League of New York puts out. It's always great when you could just go to work and, and be able to be who you are and not have to hide or not have to pretend you know, that you're somebody else when you could just be yourself and, and do the best of your abilities. You would think the gay rights community would know better than anyone else the importance of not having to hide key aspects of oneself. And I believe they do. Uh, my point here is I actually do believe the gay community thinks that. I, though, suspect or worry that organizers of gay rights marches are not surveying the broader gay community to see if most of the thousands of marchers and people who are cheering on the march agree that advancing the cause of gay rights necessarily means excluding uniformed police from the celebration. We've seen this with other mass movements like the Women's March, which to the vast, vast majority of their participants stood for solidarity for women's rights in the face of the Trump administration. But their leadership fractured over the issue of Israel and Palestine, certainly an important issue, just not their issue. Backers of cop bans and parades often cite studies that show gay people are more often targeted by cops. Justin Phillips of the San Francisco Chronicle wrote a column in support of excluding police in these parades, and he wrote, quote, even today, LGBTQ people are much more likely to be arrested than straight people and remain overrepresented in every facet of the criminal legal system, according to a report last year from the Prison Policy Initiative. 
Yes, but if you dig into those figures, you'll find some interesting things. First of all, gay men are in fact slightly overrepresented in the criminal justice system compared to straight men. But for women, gay, bi, or women in the category of women who have sex with women but don't identify as LGBTQ+, those women account for only 3% of the U.S. population but comprise 42% of women in prison. Why? Police discrimination? Maybe it could be. I have seen one theory advance that gender non-conforming women are seen as a threat to police. Maybe. But what is really tangible, and you could prove this in the numbers, is that it is much, much more likely that a queer teenager gets kicked out of his or her home and has to resort to crimes or sex work for survival and therefore is more likely to be arrested because they are, in fact, engaging in crimes. Also, rates of substance abuse is much higher for queer teens than for straight ones. All of those acts are against the law. The police are tasked with arresting breakers of the law. But the root cause of the law-breaking isn't police discrimination. In fact, police are literally not being discriminatory. They're acting as they often do. It's just the enforcement arm of our societal choices and, to a large extent, our societal failings. I would think that the general goal of expanding acceptance and the normalization of what actually is a normal identity, like having a huge inclusive parade where all members of the community can be represented, that is a way to counteract so many ills that actually do harm to the LGBTQ community. It is good to see that there is room for reform, however, on this issue. Because just today, San Francisco Mayor London Breed reversed her decision to join the parade. The fire department, which was boycotting the parade over the cop ban, they're going to participate in it too. And this was prompted by a little give on the part of parade organizers, which allowed the SFPD command staff to march in the parade in special dress uniforms without weapons. And also, they'd be accompanied by a few other officers in uniforms and weapons to provide support to the command staff. I think everyone else will march in t-shirts or collared shirts that say SFPD. And finally, there hasn't been any change in this other policy. No one from the leather community, will be forced to wear polyester, pleather, or any natural fibers that breathe. And that's it for today's show. Corey Wara is the assistant producer of The Gist. Joel Patterson is its senior producer. Michelle Pesca was the cop in The Village People and COO and cop of Peachfish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Lipson's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. And thanks for listening. Thank you.